Welcome to Therapy's Podcast. This is your host, Guy Hernandez, licensed marriage and family therapist here in the Bay Area in California. And today is our episode on owning it, our second key to effective communication. So when I'm working with families, I get into this owning it part when we're looking at developing communication skills and strengthening the relationships in the home. If you haven't yet, well, for sure, please listen to all of my past episodes, but I definitely recommend for this episode specifically to go back and listen to episode two on unhelpful thoughts because uh, as we're going through this episode, there's a couple unhelpful thoughts that are going to pop up as examples that can get in the way of owning it. And one of them is mind reading and the other one is shooting. So those are two big ones that may come up in this episode. So go back, listen to episode two as it might be helpful uh, to put this episode into context. And today when we talk about this idea of owning it, essentially what we're talking about is taking responsibility for a number of things, but our actions, uh, our feelings, um, our thoughts and opinions, and our expectations and values. Essentially taking responsibility for Ourself, our being, what we do, what we think, feel, behave. And the reason why that's important is because if we take responsibility for those things, then it gives us the agency or the ability to to grow, to improve the things that we want to in life, uh, to make changes, to improve our relationships. Um, because if we're deferring responsibility to someone else, then we are leaving the power of change in their hands. Okay, so let's quickly just look at taking responsibility for actions. So this is a little bit more basic, right? Uh, what was your part in the conflict? So if this is a relation, relational conflict that I'm working out with the family, um, I'm trying to get each person to own how they responded in the situation. So despite what happens, having them acknowledge that they did control their response, that I've seen this come up with younger kids a lot, but it doesn't necessarily have to come up with the younger kid versus the, uh, towards the parent, but this statement of, you made me do it, um, which is not, not really true, right? We're responsible for our actions despite what happened that may have triggered that feeling leading to a certain response. Uh, so we could have been really mad. Someone could have, uh, like when I worked in schools, when, when you know student conflicts happen quite regularly, uh, so let's say one student calls another student a name, the other student responds, or the other child responds by um, using some sort of you know physical, physically hitting or kicking or something of that sort. Um, and understandably so, that the the child that resulted in hitting is likely the one to you know end up in, in trouble or whatnot. But um, acknowledging that yes, that person did say something that was hurtful, and at the same time. Um, you're still responsible for your actions in that in that scenario. Um, similarly, so in adult relationships, uh, being able to own our actions and and just be taking the responsibility for what we do. I think what prevents this at times is the guilt. I think sometimes guilt gets in the way of us taking responsibility. For our partner, because if we did, if we did make an error, or let's say we were wrong in the situation, it's it's hard to, it's hard to acknowledge that because for one, we can't undo it. 
So having to sit with the guilt or having to sit with the powerlessness that we can't change what we've done wrong. Sometimes it's easier just to um, avoid responsibility. Like, well, that wasn't my fault or minimize the situation and, you know, essentially not own our action in the conflict. And this is where we could be putting it back on the other person. So if there was some sort of conflict, um, and this is where blaming would get in, this is actually another unhelpful thought that pops up during this episode is if you're in a relationship conflict and one person's bringing about, uh, say your partner is bringing about issues they have with you or, or something that's going on, and then you turn it right back to them. Well, you did the, these things, and you know that's kind of getting away from your part in the conflict. Because we can kind of feel this uh, sense of control and maybe ease our own anxiety by putting it off and away from us and having the focus be on someone else instead of us because we can't change what we did and that can feel kind of not so good, especially if we hurt someone's feelings or like I said, we did something wrong. And sitting with guilt could be a very discomforting place to be. Okay, so I think that is pretty, pretty basic. I don't, you know, you can input your own examples of when you maybe shied away from, from taking responsibility in a conflict that you're trying to work out. Did you put it back on your partner? Uh, did you, did you, in, you know, are you saying that the person made you do it? Are you um, trying to prevent feeling the guilt? Because um, it could be a vulnerable place to be to go. Okay, I was wrong. I, I, I realize that that action you know impacted you in this way it could be a very vulnerable place to be okay so these next uh, feelings I'm not feelings and thoughts I'm not gonna spend too much time on I'm gonna spend most time on the last one expectations and values but now we're gonna move to feelings um, so remembering that in owning our feelings we all have our own emotional responses to a situation and if the people in our life don't have that same emotional response, it doesn't mean they're wrong. And here, here's where another unhelpful thought comes up. So when, in not, when we don't own our feelings, when we're not owning our feelings as ours, the should thought comes up. Well, let's say you and your romantic partner um, go through some sort of distress. And you have a certain emotional feeling in response to that. And your partner's response doesn't match or you don't recognize that they're experiencing the feeling the way you are. All right. So one, one thought that may come up is, well, they should, they should be upset too. Well, for one, you don't know if they're upset or not just because maybe their response looks a little differently than yours. So here's kind of the misunderstanding and rabbit hole we can go down in a situation like this. So, intense emotional experience or some sort of emotional distress for the couple. Couples have a different response. One partner may say, or look at the other partner and go, well, I'm visibly upset. They're not. Now we're going to attach an uh, unhelpful thought or meaning to it and have this assumption, well, they must not care. Well, they must not care about me. So now I'm mad at them. And this is how we can go from... Uh, an event that neither person controls to now a conflict between both people when just because the emotional response was different neither person's wrong it's just different so this is where we have to own our feelings so if if 
if there's a conflict that impacts me and my partner to step back and go, okay, this is my emotional response to it. This is how I'm feeling about it. And this is how I am presenting it. And if I look at my partners, realize that they, I don't know what's going on in their head. So it's even, even if I'm reading the body language, I can still be wrong. And if I assume that just because their response looks different than mine, that they don't care or they don't feel uh, the way that I do it it I can't just because it looks different and maybe the person even feels differently than I do it doesn't make them wrong it's just different and it doesn't mean they don't care um, and if I need more help in that situation then that's where I would I would have to go to a vulnerable place and say like this is really upsetting me and I need more help and that's the work I do a lot with the parents is that this is a big one one parent uh, in terms of raising the uh, the children or how how they responded to the children one of my main interventions is to come in and look at how it felt for each person and how they how they took that feeling of distress and what it looked like how how did they respond to it and that way that both parents can see that they have, they may feel the same way. They just may, may respond really differently. And then where the conflict arises is when, when the couple, when the parents start to assume the meaning by, um, by looking at each person's behavior. So if one parent's upset and they, they take some space to shut away um, so that they don't blow up, on the child or even between the parents the other parent may then interpret that as you don't care you're walking away you always walk away and then you have this this other narrative that develops when if we slow down and go okay let me own my my feelings and not assume my partners okay and then understand like I said that we all have our own emotional reactions and feel things at a different level and present them in different ways and just because they don't match doesn't make our partner wrong and relating this to children it doesn't make our our child wrong for not uh, having you know the same response that you you may have as a parent now what gets in the way of this just like we did with actions what gets in the way of owning our feelings is we're very connected to one to to each other relationally um, so we can get in this mode of uh, kind of expecting that that our emotional needs in a in our close relationships um, are going to be cared for or fostered and sometimes if there's a different emotional response to a a conflict or distress a different one than we need we and we so we don't get the emotional response that we may need we can feel dismissed so if we take that same example, there's an emotional distress that impacts both both partners in the relationship. One partner is very visibly upset. The other partner is maybe looking more stoically and is maybe internalizing, maybe shutting down a little bit more, but, but that's their process. The, the person that's more visibly upset potentially could look at them and go, okay, they don't care. And... Now I feel like my feelings are dismissed. Maybe they approach it, and are maybe they approach the partner that's more, more quiet and kind of shutting down, and maybe they get the feedback in that moment. Maybe they overwhelm the other partner to a certain extent, 
and they get the feedback from that partner that uh, it's not a big deal or relax, you know, just um, it's not that serious. And sometimes when I tease that apart, usually it's because the person that's shutting down a little bit more just needs some actual space and they're feeling it probably at the same intensity sometimes but they're just showing it much differently and then once the uh, partner that's maybe more expressive and visibly upset it, it can sometimes overwhelm the partner that's needing more time and, and kind of quiet to, to in order to self-regulate and calm themselves um, so if they feel overwhelmed, sometimes they do an attack back. Oh, well, just relax, calm down. And then that can dismiss the other partner's, you know, their feelings, which their feeling isn't wrong either. And, you know, your feelings are your feelings. They're just, they're just what they are. And you, you have your response. Um, so, the, and then this is where conflict starts to really build up. And then this is where you can start to really attach this idea of, well, you really don't care because now you just dismissed me. But you know, sometimes it's just an attempt to avoid the conflict or to, to reduce the conflict as much as possible, which in a sense isn't a bad thing. Um, but if it does feel dismissive, then you can see how uh, couples can divide right here. And so with feelings, a, a big big thing in owning it is to then also make sure to attempt to validate your partner's feelings. Because that could hopefully bridge the uh, the gap of dismissiveness so just try to prevent that that from occurring because it, it happened very um very sneakily without us really even realizing it we can we d can dismiss each other very easily and very unintentionally so with them to validate the partner hey looks like you're really upset i just need a minute to myself um and just because I'm sitting here quietly doesn't mean I don't care. You know, like those kind of conversations, um, rather than just running on assumptions. Well, my partner's quiet, so they must not care. Or my partner's really busy, upset, they're out of control. Right? Like, just because your response is different doesn't make each other wrong. So own those feelings, okay? Your feelings are yours. Be curious about your partners. Be curious about your child's and friends, etc. Um, oh, also one last thing about feelings. When we experience some emotional distress in our relationships or in our families, it's common to go to a problem-solving place if you're not the one experiencing the emotional distress. And that can also feel dismissive. And that's where we need validation. So if your partner comes up to you and like, oh my gosh, I had such a stressful day and they're just in a venting mode and then you go well you should have done these this 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 and this from the perspective of you in your mind well that can feel dismissive because when someone's coming in you know when someone in your life is coming with an emotional statement expressing some emotional distress usually the need in that moment usually is comfort it's not solutions um because you you can see you can see the vis, you know the visually upset maybe increased um, speed of speech you, you know if your partner is upset inventing um, and I think a lot of times why we go to that problem solving place is because it's uh, if we're not feeling the same emotionally um, it I think that's a kind of the natural inclination or urge is to go well 
I'm not feeling the same thing, so I'm in this problem-solving place. My emotional brain isn't isn't really going off like yours is, so here's some solutions. I think other times we may go to that problem-solving place as well as it, I think it can reduce our own anxiety over the situation, is to go, well, these emotions are pretty big. Let me just go to some solutions. Um, but like I said, what it can do in those moments potentially between you and your partner, or especially between you and your child, is is you could potentially be dismissing someone else's feelings. So you don't have to own their feelings. They're not yours. Um, but in, in, the, in the art of effectiveness is to at least validate and acknowledge their feelings. And it'll, it'll help usually your, you know, when you're doing this with your child or your, or your partner or any close relationships, it'll help them own theirs too by acknowledging it and stating it outwardly as well. Um, so yeah, try to match problem solving when it's asked for or indicated and when there's a, an emotional reactivity like i said whether it be your child or partner then i understand the need off in that moment moment is comfort and attunement and is some empathy like wow that seems really stressful you know sorry you had such a rough day uh, that to prevent that dismissiveness because the dismissiveness it, it's so easy to happen and as soon as it happens, we start to split apart in our relationships and conflict can fester and develop and grow and strengthen in those moments. Okay, so own it. Own those feelings. It's very important. All right, our last one. This is owning our expectations and values. Now, this one can get, it can go forever about just this one idea of expectations. In our mind, we're, we have expectations running nonstop. We don't we're not even aware. A lot of them could be subliminal or you know subconscious because from birth every from birth to now, however old you are, information has been going into your mind nonstop. And you have these different blueprints or schemas or ways that you believe the world should be operated or you should operate in the world. And like I said, a lot of them we're not even aware of, of how, how we're supposed to be in our relationships, how our partner, how we expect our partner to be, how we expect our children to be, how we expect our friends to be, how we expect our coworkers to be, so on and so on. And then how we expect them in these different situations and how we expect them as we're feeling differently. So, for example, if we apply this to the feeling, just this example of feelings of that problem-solving thing, we may internally expect, well, when I'm upset, I expect my partner to comfort me. And then when they don't, I'm disappointed. So owning that expectation. Not everyone wants to be comforted when they're upset. Some people want to be left alone. Right? Maybe someone does want a solution in the moment. But if you're running off that expectation, this implied hidden expectation, which a lot of times they are hidden, then you're, it's, it's not going to be uncommon that you run into plenty of disappointment from people. And then if you run into that disappointment, then once again, what's the meaning you attach? And this is that minoring part. Well, then they don't care because they didn't meet my expectations. So then if I, if I was processing this with a family or a couple, I would then say, what was your expectation? Sometimes they know, sometimes they don't know, right? And then I, the next question I would ask is, 
are those expectations clear to your partner? Are they clear to your children? So if they don't know the expectation, how can they ex be expected to ever meet it? Well, they should just know. They should just know when I'm set. And there goes the shooting. Another unhelpful thought. And we do this very commonly. It's, it's so easy to should. Because, like I said, we have this operating system in our brain. We're going out and approaching the world how we've been raised to approach it, how our experience tells us to approach it. And sometimes we get in this kind of very I egotistical place. And I don't mean that in a bad sense. It's just kind of human nature that we're expecting others to see it in the same way, to see problems in the same way we do, to see our relationship in the same way we do. And understanding that there are differences and that if we don't explicitly state our expectations, we're often going to be disappointed. And if we really apply this to our relationships, our romantic relationships, let's say, let's say you, whatever, whatever, what, what's the need for intimacy for you? So with a lot of people I work with, um, they referenced, you know, the five love languages a lot. And if you don't know what that book is, it's a very kind of basic concept of here's how you receive love best and here's maybe how you tend to give it um, I don't remember all five off the top of my head I think quality time um, physical touch gift giving words of affirmation and then someone else someone listening to this is going crazy right now because they know the last one and I can't remember it but either way just this concept of what we expect from our partner in terms of feeling intimate and feeling loved and like has that ever really been stated have you ever really stated that to your partner that those expectations have you have you if you have children have you gone over all the expectations all of them that's pretty much impossible but all these different expectations about raising children what kind of school they're going to go to how you're going to approach uh religion maybe one parent uh, is like oh it's just a given we're going to church every sunday and then the other parent's like oh well, i didn't really grow up that way like, has that ever been discussed? Because then there's a potential conflict because they're like, well, now someone's right and wrong. Well, not necessarily true, but that is a huge, it could be potentially be a huge difference or, or a huge value um, in the relationship that can cause a lot of distress. What are some uh, other expectations of raising children? How are you going to discipline them? How are you going to reward them? One parent may say, and I run into this a lot too, is uh, I think the biggest conflicts um, approaching helping parent, parents get together and, and be consistent in their parenting with the children is the differences in the ideas behind discipline and behind rewarding. And imagine, why is it different? You were raised differently. You're different human beings. So where does my, my idea come from? Well, it comes from my experience probably from what I think worked and what I think didn't and then that helped sculpt you know my next approach then now if I go in expecting that my partner's gonna have the same and that if it's not theirs is wrong well now we definitely have some conflict so I have to go in with that flexibility going these are my expectations and recognizing that my partners are um, their expectations of parenting are probably going to be different and it likely should be to a certain extent and then this is where we try to then compromise 
So like I said, when I'm working with parents, what I kind of lay it out, what I usually see, and I've done this exercise plenty of times, is we, we kind of go through the expectations of parenting. It, it usually looks the same at its core. You know, parents want their kids to do well. They want their kids to be respectful, whatever that means to you. That's a, that can be a, a vague term, but, you know, a respectful individual. They want them to be independent at some point so that they can take care of themselves. Uh, parents often want them just to be okay. They want them to be kind to others. These very basic things. Now, where conflict starts to rise is in how that's going to uh, look outwardly. And this is where those hidden expectations start to come out. Um, one parent may be saying, it has to come out this way. This is how we're going to get to the... This is this is how I expect we're going to get to those places uh, with our child or how we're going to get our child to those places. And the other parent says, well, no, I think it's this way. And just because it's different, the expectations are different, it doesn't mean that either person's wrong or either person doesn't care about one another but we do have to have some openness to hearing the other person's expectations as well um, what do we expect in our relationships our partner so I'm going back here a little bit but this is really non-stop especially if you get to the place where you're you're living together and you're building a life together do you have children together? Do you come home? Let's say one partner, let's say one partner works a lot, and the other partner um, is home more often. Or maybe there's a stay-at-home. I work with sometimes where it's a stay-at-home parent, and how those expectations differ. The person that works a lot may come home, and I've seen this pattern and worked with this pattern is they may come home and expect a lot of things to be done around the house because they've been working all day, which is, is, is understandable response um, or feeling to have. And then the other partner that's been home may expect they, that they've been home all day. Maybe they've been home with the kids and then that's stressful and they're tired and then they expect help too. So both people really needing actually support from each other, maybe in different ways but when they're when they're not getting it, when those expectations aren't met, um, now arise conflict and now arise some separation. So how this may look: partner comes home, long day of work, uh, laundry's not done, uh, there's no dinner, they're tired, um, whatever else, and then like ugh, they had this expectation that those things may have been done and they never maybe said them and now they just expect it now they're disappointed and then now they can attach the meaning unhelpfully <laughs> that the partner doesn't care they're not putting in the effort which is not really true now on the reverse side from the other person's perspective they've been home all day they've been with the kids they've been taking care of things they come home and expect some relief from their partner but what's their partner do when they come in well, they come in disappointed. They come in disappointed because their expectations weren't met. And now, the stay-at-home parent, now their expectations aren't met because they didn't get that relief because the partner is frustrated. Now they're frustrated, and now there's a divide. And then now this pattern can just keep going and going and going. So how to break that is to, to start to state our expectations. 
really even when conflicts happen to and when i'm doing conflict resolution is starting to tease apart and have like i said people verbalize what their expectations were and get them to understand even just some like i said a lot of times we're not even aware we're just operating how we think we should operate and we're operating a lot of times based on what we need or feel and we may not think that but if if i come home tired if i'm in the example i was just giving I can kind of feel what I need. You know, I need to rest. I need a break. Um, I just need things to be easy and ready to go. Like, I just need to come home and eat. And, like, I know I need that because I'm really hungry. Those are easy things to kind of forget about. Just, it's just, it, it, could, it, it just is what it, yeah. Like I said, what I would do is to have each parent or just a couple, if there's no children, tease apart exactly what the expectations were. Because by the time the conflict happens, the expectations are long forgotten, and it's now to the point of this person doesn't care, they don't try enough, and and whatever else, whatever other evidence you're searching for to to kind of fulfill that that hypothesis or that theory. Uh, so yeah, really owning our expectations. What did you expect in that moment? Did you even say it out loud? Did you did you? express to your partner this is what you need this is what you expect and then have a conversation where you can then compromise on that expectation so just because you own your expectation and say it outwardly doesn't mean that person's going to fully meet it but now it's now it's in the air now it can be worked with now it can be compromised now you guys can develop and grow as a couple or as parents or even between parent and child because if it's implied and i i don't know if you've recognized from past episodes but I come up with a lot of phrases that I'll, I'll leave with families or with couples so that something can stick, okay? And a, and a lot of this, um, in this whole owning it episode, is to make things very clear, is to really think about what's going on, not putting, it, not putting our experience onto other people or in their, in their hands as if it's their problem, but owning all of this as our problem and that if it is our problem, then we have the solutions, okay? Um, so what I was going to say is something about owning, oh, my phrase. So what I tell parents is that hidden expectations lead to real disappointment. And there's plenty of phrases. I, I've played with this phrase plenty of different ways. And there's, I think, age-old phrases that re, that are related to the idea of expectations. I think there's one something about like expectations or disappointment waiting to happen, something of that sort. So this this has existed for a long time as pe- people understand that, you know, we have to keep checking our expectations constantly. And in different context, between you and your partner, we're talking about having a marriage or, or you know, if you guys are living together with or without children, there's a certain context of the home expectations of how you both expect each other in the home, but then there's how you guys expect to interact outside of the home, maybe in public, maybe on the weekends. What does that look like when on vacation? Financially, that's a big one. I didn't even jump into that. What are your expectations of your partner financially when you guys are living together and sharing sharing space and where finances start to be a more cooperative endeavor maybe? Because this is where the maybe the values come into place. Maybe you own, your values around money are one way, and then your partners are a different way. But you expect them 
to be your way because it's your way. This is what you live with in your head. And when their values are different or expectations around money management are different, then they're wrong. Then there's distress. Okay, so th think of all these different ways in your relationship how these hidden expectations and not owning your expectations as your own can develop into bigger and bigger conflicts, right? Around raising children, around how, uh, discipline with children, the rewards, the integrating your religious cultural backgrounds, how you're going to spend um, time with your extended family, friends, right? What does all of that look like? And this may sound exhaustive, and it, it's not really intended to be, but just to start communicating outwardly, to start to really identify those expectations and start to, to talk about them, work with them, okay? Work with these values. See how, see how you, you and your partner can compromise and accommodate and give a little, um, skid a little, okay? It's, it's, it's got to be a fluid two-way process. Uh, in these in our relationships that that are meaningful to us okay so I hope that was pretty clear um, on owning it oh one last thing too on just owning our thoughts and opinions and I'm not gonna go too much into it because after everything you just listened to you can probably get the idea so the idea of owning our thoughts and opinions is is essentially owning them that it's ours and that if someone has a different thought or opinion it doesn't make them innately wrong um, I know it can feel that way it can feel that way with a lot of these things because like I said we live in our head okay we have an operating system about how we see the world and when when there's different thoughts opinions different behaviors different expectations that challenge that um, challenge our our thought process or our blueprint in our mind that's where we can potentially get defensive because it's something different than us it's something we don't understand and if there's something we don't understand and that could be scary and we could kind of maybe want to dismiss that okay however this is where like I said where we can be our growth can be stunted in relationships because it becomes a rigid pattern and we you know ideally I'm trying to work with families and, even, and always myself to be flexible in my thinking okay to try to see more and more perspectives and thoughts and opinions than my own and also to own the ones I have as my own and they're not anyone else's and when my expectations feelings my actions don't align with other people's it doesn't necessarily make anyone else wrong for that all right well I hope this help this episode was helpful uh, remember go back to unhelpful thoughts look at the shooting the mind reading how are you applying that to your relationships Okay, because a lot of that comes into us not owning, from from my perspective, not owning our experiences, and not 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 putting them out there, not communicating them, and not being able to work with the, you know our all these hidden internal expectations we have. All right, well, stay tuned for a brief conclusion, and then we will wrap up the episode. Thank you.
Alright, thank you for listening to today's episode on owning it, our part two to my five keys to effective communication. So take this time to reflect upon your own expectations and think about where they come from came from, how they developed, and see if they if you still align with those expectations. And if you still do, how are you communicating those expectations into those relationships that matter to you most? And in the episode, I end up focusing a lot on romantic relationships, but easily can apply all these ideas to how uh, you raise your children as well. Just brief example of that is how could you expect your children to behave a certain way if you haven't outlined your exact expectations? All right, well, thank you again for listening to the episode. If you haven't caught up on past episodes, please go ahead and do so. Please share this on Facebook, Instagram, and wherever else you have a social media. Please follow on Instagram at therapized underscore podcast. Please follow Therapized Podcast Facebook page. Please rate and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. Also, feel free to submit some questions or topics so far i've gotten one request to do an episode on codependency and i'm going to take my time with that actually because i i feel like i can do another mini series on codependency maybe in the summer after i'm done getting through this uh five-part series on my five keys to effective communication also i'm still planning to have on more guests so if you are interested in becoming a guest and you're in the mental health field or you know of someone in the mental health field that uh, would be a great guest, please let me know. You can contact me uh, through Therapized, my Therapized Podcast Instagram or Facebook or send an email to thetherapizedpodcast at gmail.com. And as always, please, please understand that this is an informational and educational podcast uh, podcast and it is not intended to replace your own professional mental health treatment so if you do need treatment please go seek that in your area and as always thank you for listening this has been therapized podcast with guy hernandez Mm -hmm.